0: little bit like South Dakotans, I think, in that um, it's uh, it's it's we don't like the uh, the government telling us what to do, and uh, we're grateful. I'm look grateful we can be here tonight, enjoy some time together, and uh, and open God's word. You know, I was watching our the, the girls play tonight, and uh, you know, just going back so many memories. Going back the piles when they came to Stillwater, uh, 2014. I'd been there for a number of years already. Um, but the richest years of my life were those, those uh, four and a half years that we got to spend on, on staff together. And, uh, and I'm telling you, it was just rich and helpful. And he was the friend I needed in that moment. And uh, I don't know what he would say about me, but we, uh, we, the Lord used, helped us to uh, become who we are in those four years. And our kids have grown up together and I mean, I remember, I mean, today, I mean, they're playing the piano together. Or today, um, they went, they, they took the Suburban to go get coffee. And I'm like, I remember when we were sitting around the fire at my our property, and they were so little, I was telling ghost stories, and every Pile Kid was bawling. <laughs> I mean, I've made, I think I've probably made more Pile Kids cry more than just about anybody else on this planet. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just now they're growing up, and, and uh, you don't have to be close in proximity to be close at heart. And uh, God has uh, knit our hearts, and we're just we're grateful to have good friends. And when I came to West Valley this week, um, you've been on my mind for a number of years. um friends with Brother Hetzer, and then knowing that Brother Pyle was going to come here, we actually did a survey trip for the Piles that summer. We were on vacation, and we were going from California back to Oklahoma, and we took a detour through Idaho, you know, on our way to Oklahoma. <laughs> so, like, we got to go see what's going on up there, because we knew they were thinking about it, and uh, and so uh, we came, and we wanted to check it out, and uh, and I'm telling you, it's just a joy to our hearts uh, to see what's going on here. We were driving today, um Brother Pyle was geeking out about the mountains, and, I don't know, snow on the mountains, and it's clear, and and uh, I'm trying to figure out, we were going through this together where we were both trying to figure out what the Lord wanted for us. We knew we, we were each going to be pastoring. And I'm mean, a lot of time in prayer and tears and figuring all that out. And I'm figuring out, I just want to know how he got Idaho and I got South Dakota. So, I mean, what? I mean, I'm looking at those mountains too and I'm thinking, well, we got cornfields and they're nice, they're nice. But man, I'm just thankful. I'm so thankful that the piles are here for their sake and for your sake. And it's a blessing. Um, you know, and tonight I just want to start out a little differently. Um, and I'd like to stop and just give the Lord permission to do whatever he wants to do tonight. And, and uh, from right there even at your seat, I, I hope that you'd be willing to do this too. And you could say something like, Lord, you have permission to work in my heart tonight. And Lord, if there's anything not right, would you help me to get it right tonight? Uh, Lord, I, I want the truth to be revealed to my heart in an area where I've drifted. God, would you do something? I give your permission to speak. And I just want, I mean, just with silence, just for a couple of minutes, and let's just give him permission to work in our hearts and just stop and be still. And would you right there from your seat, would you just pray that? Let's just bow our heads and give him full permission to do whatever he wants to do in our hearts and seek him. Father, we're humbled that you'd meet with us, and we're thankful that you took the time to be in our midst tonight. And though we don't just want this to be a night of fellowship, we need your Holy Spirit to work through your word, and we pray that you'd illuminate it in a special way. God, we need you. We need you to speak. We need you to work. We pray that you'd use this evening to make a difference in our lives. Help us to change in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Samuel chapter 18. Somebody's filled with the Spirit over there. (laughs) 1 Samuel 18. (laughs) I'm not even going to tell you. Okay. 1 Samuel 18 is where we're going to be. We'll stand. Actually, let's go ahead and stand. 1 Samuel 18. And before I read it, I just want to tell you just a short story when I was uh, when I was in college, I traveled for a couple summers with a with a singing group from the college there at Heartland, and uh, we were traveling in Vermont in a, in in New England. We were driving through from Canada, go, starting to head back south, and we stopped to eat at um, at a subway or something like that. And so we all walked in, and it's a group of us, you know, Bible college kids. We look like Bible college kids, and. And we walk into this room and into this this restaurant, and the kid behind the counter was probably a little bit older than me, and uh, so I started talking to him. But you know, you couldn't you you could, couldn't uh, deny, um, you know, that you would have made some assumptions about his life based on what he looked like. You know, he he had tattoos, he had piercings, he had the the things in his ears, you know, that were real stretched out. His hair. Was a, was a certain way, you know, you could just tell the, the kind of person, I, I, you know, you just have to make some assumptions. You don't have to, but you do. You think, well, he's probably unsaved. And, um, and so I started talking to him about the Lord uh, there in the line and just trying to reach out to him and strike up a conversation. And it didn't take long. Uh, he asked who we were. He, he could tell how, how we were dressed and asked if we were from a Bible college. And I said, yes. And he said, well, I went to Bible college. And I said, oh, really? And he told me where he went, and, and he told me what happened. And, and in that conversation, he told me about an incident at Bible college that, that caused him basically to turn from the Lord. And he had, and, and he had a, at that point, he had mishandled a situation in his life to the point that he had walked away from God altogether, completely. And he had become a casualty because of it. And I don't know what happened to him. Maybe he turned back around at some time. But I think that happens far more than we realize in, in Christianity. There, there are Christian casualties. And they happen all the time because we don't know how to handle life situations properly. And something happens, they get hurt, and a wrong emotional response takes them down. And I believe that really is something that happens in our text in King Saul's life tonight. First Samuel chapter 18. Let's begin reading in verse five. This is after David has slain Goliath, and, and Saul has brought him in, took him under his wing. And, and look at verse five, it says, "And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him, and behaved himself wisely, and Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets and with joy and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands, and what can he have more but the kingdom? Verse 9 is kind of the turning point. It says, And Saul eyed David from that day and forward. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house and David played with his hand as at other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand and Saul cast the javelin for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him and made him captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. let us uh, We've prayed already. And... Tonight, though, I just want to bring up a subject on forgiveness, bitterness, and the issue that can rise if you don't deal with a situation in your life. We see it take a man down. So God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated, and we'll get into the message here tonight. I want you to imagine tonight a place that's full of tombstones. And as you're, you know, you think, well, it's a cemetery, you drive up. To it, you enter into the front entrance, the gates there at, at the front of the graveyard. At one point, they were serving God. At one point, they were on fire. They had a zeal, they had a heart to make a difference. They maybe used to teach Sunday school, or maybe they were uh, over a bus route, and they sang in the choir and and went to outreach, but now they lie in the Christian graveyard. See, out of church, they're not serving God. There's no effort to have a relationship with God. Some claim to not even believe in God anymore. And you say, well, what happened? Suppose then that on every tombstone, uh, instead of seeing the date of birth, And the dash and the date of death, it lists the cause of death. And of all the reasons that a person would most likely land in the Christian graveyard, don't be surprised if a large number of those tombstones scrawled across it have one word. Bitterness. See, they couldn't handle an offense in life. They couldn't handle a life situation, and it handled them. And your response is, listen, your responses to the offenses of life will determine if you end up in the Christian graveyard or not. And it plays out so clearly in the life of Saul that I'd like to consider this process and learn from it because his mishandling of a life situation took him, drove him to the graveyard. In 1 Samuel 18, David has just defeated Goliath, and you, I'm not going to review all the story. You probably are familiar here, but Saul brings David into his home. He brings him in to be the personal attendant, uh, his personal attendant. If you think about it, you know, Saul is the, is the anointed king, was the anointed king, but he had, been, he had been rejected because of his disobedience, and David is now the newly appointed king, and these two men are now in the same room most of the day. So if you can imagine the amount of combustible material right here, you've got the the, the exiting king, you've got the entering king, and now they're together all day. And, and you know, in the kind of man that Saul is with his reactionary and angry and rebellious spirit, and because of his disobedience, he'd been rejected. And now David works for him. I'm telling you, conditions are prime for trouble right here. and And just to make it worse, in verse 6, after David has killed Goliath, it came to pass that these ladies, they come in from the slaughter of the Philistine, and they're excited, and they're happy, and they're singing, and they come in dancing, and they come to meet King Saul. I mean, they're, they're coming to let him hear this song, and you would think that they would have more discernment about what they sing. Because they come, and they, keep, they sing a song praising David. And so they come in. Can you imagine? Saul is in his arm, his armchair, his recliner, whatever. I guess a throne. And ladies come in, and they're singing a song. Saul has slain his thousands, and he says, "Boy, I like the sound of this song." And David his ten thousands. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And, you know, that, that would make a good junior church song. You really could, cont- you could tell the whole story. You know, watch out, David, there's Saul. He has a javelin in his hand, you know. Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands it's a song it's just a song it's ladies singing it but you know that song it's interesting when you think about it that song drove Saul to action it wasn't an attack on Jerusalem that got his attention it's not that one of his daughters and, or got kidnapped and carried away by his enemies. No, there's women singing a song, and it hurts his feelings. A grown man, a king, and something as harmless as lyrics to a song change everything. I find it interesting that it wasn't the words of Samuel, the prophet, that got Saul's attention. It wasn't the words of a giant in the valley of Elah, Blaspheming is God that got Saul's attention. It was the words to a song. They got, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands and it got in his head and he couldn't stop hearing it and it's, the Bible says on that day that from that day and forward he got wroth. And he started looking at David in a different way. His new mission was not to destroy the enemies of of Israel anymore. His new mission was to destroy this man who didn't even sing the song. And what I want to consider tonight is this moment in time when Saul hears the song. Because he has two choices. He could either let it be what it is. It's a song. These are ladies singing lyrics. They probably just made it up. It was probably a better melody than the one I was singing, but it probably was simple, just a a simple song. He could either let it be what it was, words to a song, or he could take it so personally that it becomes the controlling force for the rest of his life. And And Saul chooses letter B. He becomes consumed with an offense. And based on verse 9, this is when Saul began to eye David, which is why I believe this is the turning point in the text. And, And the way that I describe this as I was studying for this and preparing is, this is the moment that turns Saul's eye. This is the Now listen, I know that Saul wasn't everything he was supposed to be. I know that Saul was already headed down the wrong path, but I just want you to imagine that Saul is walking along as king. You know, the the giant is dead. Things are looking up and he hears a song. And it turns his eye. And from that moment, this moment that turned his eye, the rest of his life was consumed with taking David down. During the moment that turned Saul's eye, instead of ignoring it and letting it go, he internalized it. He buried it. He got angry. He let it overtake his life to the point that it affected everything. We know that his days were numbered as king. We know that. But he didn't have to live the rest of his life in misery. You realize if Saul, in this point, had come out and said, David took down Goliath, God, I should have had that kind of faith. Father, forgive me, I repent of my lack of faith. Forgive me for, being, for, for not believing. Forgive me for not being the kind of leader I should be. I repent, and God, I want to live the rest of my life for you. You know what? God wouldn't have said, forget you. God would have said, that's what I wanted all along. Saul, I've wanted your heart this whole time. And I may have rejected you from being king, but listen, you can live the rest of your life and leave a legacy far different than the one that you've got right now. And yet Saul, in this moment, rather than respond with a correct spirit and respond just to let the song be what it is, he spent the last seven years of his life chasing David around the countryside because of a song. And we say, well, that's crazy. And it is. But hear me, Saul's not the only one with a moment that has turned his eye. See, life is full of opportunities to be offended. And if we're not careful, we do what King Saul did. Rather than letting it go and letting that offense go, we internalize the offense, we let it fester until we're consumed, and it can happen to any of us, and I can't put a measurable number to this, but I truly believe that a majority of people who quit church and walk away from God, and they do it in response to a moment that turned their eye. I mean, they're, they're walking along and somebody gets onto their kids at church, I'll, you you know, and they're so defensive about when their kids get in trouble by somebody else that that becomes the moment that turns their eye. It's a song. I mean, in the grand scheme, it's a song. You know, at church they're walking along and they and they hear that somebody said something negative about them and it turns their eye. You know, it's a song. In the grand scheme of things, it's a song. I mean, and that happens in churches and it happens in life. It happens all the time that 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 people turn their eyes for a song. An offense became becomes their focus and becomes their life. And I just want to, this is a very practical look at, at forgiveness tonight. And I just want to walk through the process that happens. See, Saul's situation starts with a wound. His feelings are hurt. And in his mind, David was getting the credit that Saul wanted. It's an offense. And this is how the the process goes. It starts, number one, when when somebody does something that wounds us, something that hurts us. And it could be big. And I'm, I'm not discounting that tonight. It could be something major because there are people with wounds like abuse in their past. There are people with wounds that, like rejection or betrayal or unfaithfulness, those kinds of things, and I'm not discounting that, but it also more likely is a small thing. It could be gossip. It could be words that somebody said. It could be a dirty look. It could be something small, and, and the reason I bring that up is because I just want to say don't discount it because it's small. A small offense can become a huge problem. A small offense can, uh, can feel like a big offense. And I would say that the majority of offenses that turn into something big started out small. They were words to a song. It could be done in ignorance that somebody else may not even know that they offended you. Like these ladies. It could be perceived instead of real. But that didn't change it for Saul. Saul perceived an offense that David had nothing to do with it. But it was just as real to Saul as a real offense would have been. So that's the first step. It's a wound. The second is this. Once the offense is committed, there's a debt that is owed. And, and so when someone does you wrong, so just pay attention to the process. We'll try to act it out in a minute to wake you up. Okay? There's an internal sense of justice in each of us that wants a debt repaid. We have an innate sense of justice. Our nature wants things to be rectified when, there, when, when, when there's a debt that's been owed. The pivotal moment, though, comes when you choose what to do with that debt. That's step number three, because we either release the person from the debt that they owed us, or we choose to make sure they repay every last penny. And so just to illustrate this, I, you know, I've got my phone. Jason, would you come up here? Just because you have the coolest name in the room. So I'll forgive you for the tie because of your name. Okay, so <laughs> flowers. So so let's say that this is a brand new iPhone. It's not a brand new phone. It's a couple years old, but... It's good, by the way, it's good enough for me, okay? I don't have to have a new one every time Apple releases one, okay? So um, novelty and and greed and all of that, all you people that... Anyway, okay, so... (laughs) This phone is good enough. So, I mean, you don't need high resolution on your selfies. Okay, so... So this is a brand new phone, let's say. And this phone cost me a lot of money to get... And so Jason and I are up on the mountain. We went, we went skiing slash snowboarding on Thursday. And, uh, and I'll just say that I waited at the bottom of plenty of hills for Jason to finish his run. So, so let's say, though, that I let him borrow my phone. And he comes to me and he says, You know, Brother Jet, I, I really want to take some selfies on the, on the, on the lift. And, and so I say, I don't know, man, this is a new phone. You haven't had a phone before. I don't know if you know how to take care of one. And he says, no, please, I just want to take some selfies on the lift. So I say, okay, well, here you go. And, and so he goes up the lift, and, and he's taking selfies. Yep, there you go. He's taking selfies. You know how to do it. There you go. <laughs> and let's say the lift goes, goes over this canyon, and it's just beautiful right there. And at that moment... He's taking a selfie, and he drops my phone into the canyon. So I'm waiting up at the top for my phone, and he comes off the lift, and I say, all right, can I have my, my phone back? And he says, I'm sorry, Brother Jet, I dropped your phone into a canyon. <laughs> I've heard that plenty of times. <laughs> Went like 500 feet down this cliff, and I know we're never going to find it. Listen, that's step one. There's an offense. There's a, there's a wound, there's, there's a hurt, there's a debt owed. And I say, well, you broke my, or you lost my new phone, so you owe me a new functioning phone. Don't you think that's probably the right thing to do? He owes me a new phone. So that's step two, debt is owed. But then step three comes in, and I tell this person, Jason, I say, even though you owe me a new functioning phone, just like the one that I had, And even though I have incurred a loss, I won't make you pay for this phone. And, of course, he's happy, and his parents are happy because they would have been the ones paying for the phone. But he walks away free because I released him from the debt. Now, listen, that doesn't mean I'm not angry. And it doesn't mean that I'm not frustrated, and it doesn't mean I don't incur loss. It simply means that I'm not going to require him to pay his debt. And in case you're wondering, this is a picture of forgiveness. Because when Christ said in Matthew 6, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, he was using a financial term. That is forgiveness on a basic level. Forgiveness is the act of setting someone free from an obligation to you that's a result of a wrong done against you. The Bible definition translated forgive generally means to send away, to release, to set free. It means to cut something loose, to let it go. Unfortunately, forgiveness is not very natural. And so, scenario number two this is really the more natural response. He wants my phone. I begrudgingly let him borrow my phone. He's taking the lift up the mountain. They go over the canyon, the prettiest part. He drops the phone down a canyon, deep into the snow. You will never find it again. He gets to the top of the lift. He tells me what happened. There's a debt owed. And this time, instead of saying, Okay, I'm hurt by your responsible behavior, but you but you could walk away free. I won't make you pay for the phone. This time I say, I'm hurt by your behavior. You owe me for a phone, you will pay me me for back every penny that you owe me plus my pain and suffering (laughs) and rather than release the debt I make sure that Jason pays all of it and that's a much more common response when it comes to offenses rather than release the debt we follow the person around making sure they pay every penny back thank you great job now listen I have a nephew and two nephews, their brothers, they're maybe they were seven or eight, seven, eight, nine, a couple years ago. And they had gotten into a spat. And you know how it is with parents that you know you, you bring the two offending parties together and you try to get them to reconcile. Or you make them reconcile, I should say. So one of them usually, what do you say to your children when that happens? Say what? Say you're sorry or say I forgive you. Say you're sorry or say I forgive you. And you try to get things right between the two. Well, the first nephew said, I'm sorry for what I did. Will you forgive me? The other nephew looked at him and says, I forgive you, but you're going to pay for this. (laughs) And I think he missed the idea. Because forgiveness is releasing the person from the debt that they owe you. And unforgiveness is making sure they repay every penny. And friends, that's our nature. When we've been wounded, we don't like to release anybody from a debt. You're going to pay for this. And listen, in the moment that turns our eyes, we have two choices. We could release the offender from the debt, or we can hold on tightly and bury that hurt deep within our hearts. Because when we hold on to an offense, it's like planting a seed in our hearts. And it goes deep, and we're, when we're supposed to deal with the offense, we're supposed to discard this seed so it can't grow. But we're very good at planting seeds. You know, when it comes to to bitterness, when it comes to unforgiveness, we all have a green thumb. This is the one area of life that, that if you're not careful, you can't kill this plant. And we're very good at burying the offenses and making sure they bear fruit. And Hebrews 12 says, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. And the Greek word there is pikria, which means harsh or or hatred or a root of bitterness. The idea is that the root tangles its way into our hearts and it comes out in how we express ourselves through sharp and angry and cutting words. See, the plant of bitterness, the seed of bitterness, doesn't produce flowers, it produces thorns harshness, hatred, bitter, uh, hard, mean, cutting. The root of bitterness produces that kind of fruit, fruit of hatred and fruit of destruction. So just think about the fruit produced in Saul's life from the moment that turned his eye. It, bitterness only seeks destruction and i mean we could read this you know I, I, there's a somebody said that which you refuse to forgive will become what you seek to destroy that's exactly what saul did that which he refused to forgive became that which he sought to destroy in the moment that turned his eye that which he refused to forgive in david became the focus of his destruction I mean, it was true for Saul. I mean, he spent the remaining years of his life chasing David around the countryside David. He sent him on missions that were purposely trying to kill him. He sent soldiers to hunt him in the wilderness. That which Saul refused to forgive became that which, which he sought to destroy. Saul's inability to release David from a debt set him on a path of destruction. But listen, it wasn't David's destruction. It set him on a path of destruction, but it wasn't David's destruction. And back in Hebrews again in verse verse 15 of chapter 12, it said, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. See, we think in bitterness that we think that, that we're going to destroy the other person and we think about destroying them or we think about retribution or we think about revenge. But I've, you've heard this. Bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. In the end, Saul's obsession with destroying David put him in the graveyard. You could read story and account after account of people that had a grudge for, I read a story about this man. uh, He was 73 years old and and he walked up to somebody's house uh, to a man named Norman Johnson's house. His last name's Erickson. He walked up to his house, knocked on the door. When Norman Johnson opened the door, this 73-year-old man pulled out a gun and shot him dead right in his doorstep. And when they arrested him, they asked him, why? And it came out that over 50 years earlier in high school, Norman Johnson had played a practical joke on Carl Erickson. And for 50 plus years, Carl Eric, can you imagine how many times he replayed the scenario over in his mind? how often he thought about revenge, how often he thought about retribution, how often he thought about what he could do, how often he thought, man, I want him to to suffer, I want him to die. You know, at all of that time, Norman Johnson had no idea. Norman Johnson just lived his life. Carl Erickson drank poison and was waiting for the other person to die. Bitterness seeks only to destroy every time But in the end, the destruction is far worse for the one with the buried seed. Bitterness also, number two, stains every relationship. Consider again Hebrews 12, 15. It says, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. See, bitterness affects every part of us. In other words, it doesn't just stay self-contained where it is. Our speech, our attitudes, our countenance, every relationship, we can't escape the effects of bitterness. It stains everything about us. You know, and I don't know about you, it's clear to me, you can tell, usually you can tell a bitter person within just a few minutes of a conversation. The word defiled actually means this, it means to stain or to die, D-Y-E. Like, if you were to take an Easter egg and you put it into dye, I mean, listen, if it's submerged in that dye, every part of the egg is affected. That's the idea of bitterness. It doesn't just stay self contained, it's not compartmentalized. No, bitterness stains every relationship we have, it entangles us internally, and it touches every relationship externally. And listen, as we get down to the end of this, I, I don't want you to check out thinking, well, I don't have a problem with this. Because every one of us, either as my brother Pyle said, we've either dealt with this in our past, we're dealing with it right now, or we will very soon be dealing with it in our future. Think about what this did to Saul's relationship. It stained every relationship he had. We find out that with his own daughter, he he set it up for David and his daughter to get married. But in order to get back at David... He sent David on a mission to kill 100 Philistines. And his hope was that David would die trying to win his daughter. He used his daughter as a pawn in his bitterness scheme. Later on, we find him throwing javelins again. But this time, he's not throwing javelins. He the relationship with the people that, sh- that Saul should have loved the most. Bitterness has a way of touching every corner of our lives to the point that relationships we should value the most become the victims of our bitterness. Dads, your bitterness isn't licensed to treat your wife like she's your enemy. It doesn't give you freedom to talk to her however you want. It doesn't give you freedom to rule your house with anger and bitterness just because bitterness has stained the relationships. Listen, the ones that suffer the most are very often the ones in our own household. Moms, your bitterness isn't licensed to deal with your children in anger. Church member, your bitterness isn't permission to treat those around you like you live under a storm cloud. And there are some people that walk in the church doors and everybody pulls out an umbrella. (laughs) It's a storm cloud. Listen, and you're not supposed to do that, but honestly, you really probably can't help it because bitterness entangles us at the root. And it touches every relationship. If we fail in the moment that turns the eye, everything we see is through the lens of bitterness. Everything. The root of bitterness destroys and stains. You can't avoid it. It's like planting a seed. And it turns into a tree and you can't stop it from growing. I, I was, we were driving up to Bogus Basin on Thursday and this one point you come around a, a turn and there's a, a giant. I don't know if it's a ponderosa pine. Just a massive tree. I, it's probably two and a half or three feet across. I bet it's over, it's probably 150 feet tall. And I was just admiring, and I've been to the redwoods, and I've, I've seen the sequoias, and those trees are massive. I mean, you can't even wrap your mind if you've seen them. It's hard to believe that they're living organisms. And you know, though you go walk up to the next to a tree like that and, and, and look up at it and try to stretch your arms around the trunk, and you realize that it started out as something smaller than this. And this is two tiny little seeds inside of every one of these, inside of each scale. Meaning that this one right here probably has dozens of seeds. That's how small the seeds are. But a redwood tree, they say, is is the size of a tomato seed. When it, first, when it first takes root. And yet it turns into something that massive. And listen, I believe that's happening in the hearts of many of God's people tonight. It doesn't have to be big right now, but it's a seed, that's it. And it's been planted and it's being cultivated and you're heaping the nutrients and you're watering it and you're giving it plenty of sun because again, we all have a green thumb when it comes to bitterness. And what has, starts out as a seed, a tiny little seed, listen, if you don't take care of it, if you don't discard it, someday it'll feel like a redwood in your life. It'll feel like a 150-foot ponderosa pine tree, and you think, why didn't I just take care of it when it was small? Listen, tonight, what offenses have you experienced? Are they, they could be small, just an unkind word or... Someone said something about you. It's a song. Parents, again, somebody says something to your kids and, and you're offended on their behalf, or someone serves in a ministry that, that you think you should be doing. Someone else gets the attention or credit for something you thought, well, they should have, pastor should have said my name too. Someone else gets blessed and you don't, and they're driving a, a new car and you're not. And, you know, listen, those small things can turn into big things they can they can turn our eye and this is important in a church setting and and you may look and say well this is not a big deal this doesn't apply to us but I'm telling you tonight there could be a moment that turns your eye right here at West Valley Baptist Church if you're not careful You're just rolling along at revival and somebody does something or says something you don't like and suddenly your eye has been turned and your focus is no longer on the Lord. Your focus is on a person that now has a target. There are also big things though. Abuse. I mean, it's it's shocking. As a pastor, how many people come from in settings and environments in which they've been abused. I mean, it's just, it's, ridiculous broken homes I know a lot of, of, of adults that are still bitter about how things went down between mom and dad when they were little unfaithfulness between a spouse and, and between in a, in a home how it just breaks it apart betrayal the loss of somebody close to you I in a trial that you don't think you deserved and anger against God for unanswered prayers. Listen, if you don't deal with the offense planted in your heart, it will grow and grow and grow until it consumes you. It'll destroy you and it'll stain every relationship. And without a doubt, without a doubt tonight, somebody in this room has a root of bitterness that's entangling your heart. You can try to hide it, but it's troubling you, it's troubling every relationship, and it's staining every part of your life. And you say, well, I just don't know how I can beat this. I don't think it's possible. But I just want you to listen to Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking, he says, be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another tender hearted what does it say next forgiving one another how even as god for christ's sake have forgiven you and you know you say well i don't i mean yeah obviously it's supernatural work but he does say put it away which means that you have a responsibility and you're carrying a seed around and you're you're cultivating it and you're letting it grow and it's consuming every part of you. Well the Bible says in Ephesians 4 that it's possible for the one being consumed to put it away. You know, meaning, you know what it's time for some of us to do with this seed? It's time to it's time to put it away and just get rid of it. And you say, well, I can't do it on my own. Exactly, you can't. That's why Jesus Christ's example and power is what Paul used to say, put it away. Because that supernatural help that that Jesus Christ is only capable of giving us is what you need to put it away. And tonight it's time to put it away because it's consuming you. It's staining every one of your relationships. Dads, it's affecting how you talk to your children and your spouse. Moms, it's affecting how you get along with other people. Teenagers, listen, I, I mean, Brother Herring knows this. I've heard him preach to teenagers on bitterness before. But it's a shocking how many young people are already entangled with the root of bitterness when they're 14 and 13 and 10 years old and 8 years old, I'm telling you, it's an epidemic among our young people. Young people, it's affecting your relationship with your parents. It's affecting your relationship with each other. It's destroying your relationship with your siblings. And listen, it's possible with Christ's help as a young person to put it away. Because the Bible says, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And I just want to stop there. And think that none of us are owed a debt as big as we owed God. Right. Amen. Nobody's ever sinned against you to the degree that, that we sinned against our creator. And yet he forgave us. And not only did he forgive us, he gave his son as the means to forgive us. It's one thing to forgive, and it doesn't cost you anything, but it costs him his son's life. And if a God like that can't forgive sinners like us, then he can give us the grace to forgive somebody else. I never heard it said that all bitterness is against God. And it, there's a time in my life Where Bitterness almost took me down. But my problem wasn't with another person. My problem really was with God. And as awful as bitterness can be in how we treat others, no relationship is as defiled as our relationship with God when we're bitter. You can't have a spirit as ungodly as bitterness and, and walk with a God as holy as he is. What bitter people don't realize is by holding on, by holding that offender responsible, you put yourself at odds with God. Because God said, he makes it clear that the way we forgive other people determines how he forgives us. He's forgiven us of far greater than anybody ever owed you. And it's time for some people in this room right here tonight To let it go. To put it away. If you're bitter, it's time to make things right with God and make things right with somebody else. Are you destined for the Christian graveyard? You might say, well, not me. This is not a problem. I don't struggle with this, but not so fast. Because I believe that on some level, every person struggles with some degree of bitterness. And we've all had moments that turned our eyes You might be bitter if you've ever been hurt. You might be bitter if you have a critical spirit on any level about somebody else. You might be bitter if you blame somebody else for your wounds. You might be bitter if you've ever daydreamed about revenge. You might be bitter if you've ever been wronged, big or small. You might be bitter if someone has ever made you a promise they didn't keep. You might be bitter if someone's ever said something about you that you didn't like. You might be bitter if you've ever suffered loss and blamed God. You might be bitter if if a moment in time has ever turned your eye from God to a person that did something to you or said something about you. Listen, I believe every person in this room has something to deal with because either that moment that turned our eye, maybe that's what you have to deal with. It's time for you to go back to that moment where you were walking along and something happened and it turned your eye. Or maybe tonight you need to deal with that person. There's somebody in your life that's become an object of your anger. Maybe there's someone here tonight, there's people in your life that, They've been affected by your bitterness and you need to make it right with them. Maybe you just need to stop and beg God to protect you from the opportunities for offense that are sure to come your way. This may not seem important to you, but if you can't deal with this issue, get ready for the Christian graveyard. And maybe not in body, but in spirit. You may even still be around You may still be teaching, and you may still be involved, but that root of bitterness is touching everything in your life and rendering you ineffective for God. Don't assume you're above it. Wounds can happen to any person at any time, but God has given his grace and his power and his spirit to supernaturally help us put it away. And he can remove a tree as easily as he can remove a seed. You don't have to live with it. With Christ's help, it's time to let it go. Would you tonight? See, if he forgave you, you have all the reason you'll ever need to forgive somebody else. Instead of living your life saying, you're going to pay for this. Remember that somebody already paid for it. His name is Jesus. And he paid for your offenses too friend and I think tonight it's time for somebody to let it go let's stand together every head bowed, every eye closed listen you gave God the permission at the beginning of this sermon to do whatever he wants I want to encourage you tonight to follow through with that you gave him permission, you said whatever God whatever you want to do I give you permission. Tonight's the night. Some have been hanging on. You know, revival is, it's a turn. It's a return. And tonight, some of you have been dealing with a moment that turned your eye and you've let it linger and it's become a, I mean, it's become bitterness. And it's time to let it go tonight. Don't hold on. Don't wait. Listen, if you got something that you need to make right with somebody tonight, tonight's the night to do it. Because the Bible says that God can't forgive us the way he wants until we forgive somebody else. And there are people here tonight you need to make something right with. Dads, do you need to make something right with your kids? Moms, do you need to make something right with your spouse? Husbands, wives? Listen, it's time to put it away. It's time to let it go. Let's practice the same kind of forgiveness God showed us through Christ. Brother Nate, you sing. sweet peace, and for faith to increase, and have earnestly, fervently prayed, but you cannot have rest, or be perfectly...